0: Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs. Now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash wondery. Okay,
1: picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you.
2: From the Jill Schwartz Memorial Library here in the wilds of Connecticut, this is Obscure, the podcast in which I read Jude the Obscure out loud and comment on it as I go. I am your host, your reader, your friend, your complainer, because that's mostly what I do about this book is complain about it, your literary bon vivant, your confidante, your je ne sais quoi, your... Voulez-vous coucher avec moi? And uh, I come to you on a snowy day. Well, it it, the snow has ceased, but the Arctic chill has remained. Jack, Jack, my shitty little rat dog, is nestled beside me here on the reading throne. His little body pressed up against mine for warmth. And of course, there's very little warmth to be had from me towards him emotionally. But physically, I suppose, I radiate the same amount of warmth as any human being. But there is some chill in the air now, but also between Sue and Jude. Things are finally over between them. I mean, I say that knowing that they're not. But I said it because they've now agreed, you know, look, nothing can be done. We're, We're not suited. We're cousins. Um... We, our families choose badly in all things romance related. And so it's best that we just part. And, you know, at, at best, we'll have a kind of casual acquaintanceship from here on out. And they both agree, oh, that's fine. But then they've done this, what, 900 times so far in this book? 900 times in one form or another. And it has become wearying to me, and presumably to you. And now I'm concerned that Thomas Hardy is going to start costing me listeners because of the same runaround. You know that song, Run Around Sue? (laughs) Uh, um. She's got me running around. Literally the only words I know. And then run around Sue, it says. Well, that's who Sue is. Sue is run around Sue, the suicide girl. Chapter seven. Tidings from Sue a day or two after passed across Jude like a withering blast. So it took all of a sentence for her to reach out to him. All of a sentence. Ten words or so for her to put him on blast. As Thomas Hardy says, before reading the letter, he was led to suspect that its contents were of a somewhat serious kind by catching sight of the signature, which was in her full name, never used in her correspondence with him since her first note. So here's the letter, my dear Jude. I have something to tell you, which perhaps you will not be surprised to hear, though certainly it may strike you as being accelerated. And I can only imagine that what she's about to say is Phillips and I just decided to get married, right? We're just going to go off. We're going to get married or some such thing. Because even though, uh, because Sue was holding out hope for something better in her life, she kind of thought maybe it could be Jude. She decided it couldn't be. So she's just like, fuck it. I'll marry the boring school teacher. Let's see what she says. Uh, it certainly may strike you as being accelerated as the railway companies say of their trains. Well, that's a little modern joke that uh, Sue has put in there, I guess. Mr. Phillotson and I, uh-huh, are to be married quite soon (laughs) as predicted in three or four weeks we had intended as you know to wait till i had gone through my course of training and obtained my certificate so as to assist him if necessary in the teaching but he generously says he does not see any object in waiting now i am not at the training school it is so good of him (laughs) yeah it's so good of him you remember phillotson uh uh, confronted Jude and was like, "Hey, hey, man, I heard, I heard, I heard you was, uh, you was dating my dame." And Jude's like, "No, we just spent several nights together in very peculiar circumstances." But my God, man, no! I mean, I never laid a glove on her, and in that case, he was telling the truth to all of our dismay. It is so good of him, she says, because the awkwardness of my situation has really come about by my fault in getting expelled. Wish me joy. Remember, I say you are too, and you mustn't refuse your affectionate cousin, Susanna Florence Mary Bridehead. Jude staggered under the news could eat no breakfast, and kept on drinking tea because his mouth was so dry. Then presently he went to his work and laughed the usual bitter laugh of a man so confronted— Everything seemed turning to satire, and yet, what could the poor girl do, he asked himself, and felt worse than shedding tears. Oh, Susanna Florence Mary, he said as he worked, you don't know what marriage means. Oh, well, now this is an interesting turn. This is an interesting turn. Jude, who really wanted nothing else than to be with Susanna Florence Mary, I guess in my mind, what would have happened had she said, oh, Jude, I love you and you love me. Let's be together. Is that they had they would have contrived some way of getting married. Right. Even though Jude technically can't because of Arabella, blah, blah, blah. He would have had it annulled. Something would have happened and they would have ended up in connubial bliss. It never occurred to me that Jude would have turned his back on the institution of marriage because he himself is so straight-laced and so uh, predilicated, predilicated, predicted, predicated. He's so into institutions. His inclination is just to accept institutions as they are and what greater institution is there not only in the culture but in the church then marriage Sue is the one who has been saying this whole time I do not belong in this married world this world of husbands and wives and consumers and capital and Christians I'm something else And now she's saying oh i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna get married i'm gonna do the status quo thing and jude is going well sue you have no idea what marriage means i mean yes jude had an unhappy marriage but i didn't think it had soured him on the institution in its entirety now if sue had come to me and said michael what do you think about marriage i would have said well i've had 20 blissful years with my bride And if you have listened to this podcast up until this point, you've heard my my bride appear here on this podcast and you can tell just how blissful we are. Last night at dinner, my son was explaining how annoyed he gets when Martha corrects him on everything, uh, including how to hold the cheese grater and there was something else equally mundane that she was correcting him on and and she does the same to me and she says, well, that's part of a mother's job to him. And I suppose that's right. It's not part of a wife's job. I don't think I'm not sure that it's part of a mother's job either to tell, to instruct your boy how to hold a cheese grater the proper way. She just did something miraculous right before I came into the library here. We had ordered a rug, And it came wrapped in plastic, thick wrap, uh, plastic wrap, the way you would wrap a rug. And to get the rug loosened from the plastic wrap, we had to cut the plastic wrap open and kind of force it apart with our hands, thus ruining the plastic wrapping. Well, upon looking at the rug and putting it out in our foyer, which is where we thought the rug would go we both decided, no, we don't like this rug and we have to send it back. Well, how do you send back a rug? You have to rewrap it. But the plastic wrapping had been utterly decimated by the scissors, by my claws, probably by my teeth at one point, because it was so well enshrouded in this plastic wrap. So Martha says... Here, take one end of the rug. Let's bring it back over to the foyer. The rug's all nicely folded. She takes the plastic wrap out, the, 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 the scraps of plastic wrap, and basically reassembles it with nothing but uh, a keen eye and a roll of shipping tape. And the next thing you know, the, ra- the the rug is all wrapped up like a pretty little burrito, ready to be sent back to, to where it came. So if Sue Bridehead had said... Michael, what do you think? Should I should I get married? I would have said there are miracles to be found in marriage. Miracles, Sue. I discovered one today. My wife does exquisite work with shipping tape. So, uh, you know, I'm convinced about marriage and uh, but I'm not convinced that My wife is the best at it. She's very good. I'll I'll have her on and we'll bicker. And you guys like when we bicker because, I mean, that's the only way we know how to communicate. Let's take a little break. I'll bring Martha on.
0: CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car.
2: Welcome back to Obscure. I'm your reader, and I like to thank best friend Michael Ian Black, joined now by my wife of 20 years, who uh, I was just talking about, Martha. I just want
0: to say, I just came in your office, and I It's
2: not my office. It's the Jill Schwartz Memorial Library.
0: The Memorial Library. And it's a mess in here.
2: Right. It is.
0: I don't understand that, because you're a very kind of neat Nick uh, in the rest of the house. And then I come in here and like, for instance, you've got two candles, like, like just like tumbled over on the rug on their sides. Why would you have not lit? I just don't understand like how that even happened. In
2: fairness to me, I didn't, I just see. kind of
0: just, oh, I'm clearing this, sp- I'm clearing the table <laughs> off and just like pushed them. And then there's, I mean, this is like our daughter's room, Ruthie's room. And then I, there's like random stacks of things all over the floor. I, and right. it's just surprising to me because...
2: I'm normally very persnickety when it comes to messes. Yeah, you are. Beca- uh, I'll tell you why. Because the you
0: make me keep the kitchen like a drill sergeant.
2: I make you keep the kitchen. Sort of. I clean the kitchen. I know. Eighty percent of the time, I'm yes. the one cleaning the kitchen. And you're, so and I'm you're not mad, making you. But
0: you're mad when it's not yes, super clean. That's right. So I come in here and I'm shocked to see what a pigsty. Pig I is. know. I know. I mean, like even the- okay, the trash bin y- y- has a lid. Okay. So you were too lazy to take the lid off to put the trash in the trash bin and instead just put the trash on top of the lid of the trash bin. Yeah. Right. I'm assuming that's trash.
2: Yeah, that's trash. Okay. Okay. Uh, So let's move on. But this is a good example, I think, of your, what I was just talking about, when you you feel the need to correct everybody doing everything.
0: Okay, well. I just listened to that bit with you with the cheese grater. And I just wanted to say in my defense, Elijah is right handed. And although he does some things kind of weirdly, like, uh, like, for instance, he's right handed, but he writes like a lefty with his hand all curled up Mm -hmm. in that weird lefty way that many lefties do. Um,
2: Barack Obama does that. He, great president.
0: Yeah. A lot of, a lot of lefties. G-
2: great guy. I've only
0: met like one or two lefties that don't do that weird curled. Thing I don't their do hand. that. But he was trying to grate the cheese, the grater in his left hand. And he's a righty and he was having trouble and wasn't being very successful. So I said to him, if you switched hands and did it with, it would be a lot easier and you'd have, you'd, it would just work.
2: And, uh, his annoyance was palpable.
0: Well, yeah, but that's okay.
2: And then we all discussed how you had corrected the way he grates the cheese, and it. it uh, and then you corrected me on something, and it makes me feel small.
0: Okay, well, that's for a therapy session, I guess. This
2: is my therapy. But, um, this is this is my therapy. I read the book. I talk about my anxiety and angst. And then I don't get any feedback, which is not that different from going to many therapists.
0: Well, that's not true. But anyway,
2: Um, I think that... Just yes and me. Just if I say something, just go, yes, that's true. Or yes and. Um, Not no but.
0: Yes. Oh. And. Yes. But this is very typical of many marriages. People kind of get into these patterns of...
2: Belittling and shaming. "Mm,
0: No, but just like nitpicking.
2: Right. do you do you feel like I nitpick you?
0: Um, no.
2: So when you say people nitpick,
0: I don't think it's uncommon,
2: right? But it's but you're you're acknowledging that it's fairly one sided. I this. think when
0: you live with someone, just little things to, I live t- with someone great on your.
2: I do live with someone.
0: <laughs> with my children, I'm trying to. help. Help them,
2: mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And,
0: yeah. Um, thinking that, like
2: God, he's going to be in a situation where so he's got some. God. He's got a block of cheese. pecorino cheese, yeah, and he's helpless, yeah, and he's helpless.
0: It's just an instinct. He could die that way. It's just an instinct as a mother. This is what marriage
2: is—a disaster.
0: <laughs> no, it's just learning to negotiate each other's foibles. Not just foible. Just like just
2: you could say yes, foibles and. well martha you have been as always
0: am i done already
2: yeah see it's easy to make a podcast you should make a podcast okay um i want to thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule i know you do not have a lot of time to reflect on things like our marriage no thank you As always, not only for appearing on the podcast, but for being my wife. And thank you. Oh, you're welcome. And thank you for being the mother of our children. You're welcome. And uh, for introducing me, however obliquely, to Jude the Obscure. Okay, great. Well... I'm glad we did that. Always good to check in with Martha. This is her book, after all. And now back to the book. We pick back up here in part three, chapter seven, and we are again on the topic of marriage. Jew says to Sue, you don't know what marriage means. Could it be possible that his announcement of his own marriage had pricked her onto this, just as his visit to her when in liquor may have pricked her onto her engagement? To be sure, there seemed to exist these other and sufficient reasons, practical and social, for her decision, but Sue was not a very practical or calculating person, and he was compelled to think that a peek at having his secret sprung upon her had moved her to give way to Phillotson's probable representations, that the best course to prove how unfounded were the suspicions of the school authorities would be to marry him offhand, as in fulfill of an ordinary engagement. Sue had in fact been placed in an awkward corner. Poor Sue. It literally says that poor Sue with a little exclamation mark. So Jude's making it all about him. He's going, well, she's only getting married to him because she was upset that I revealed that I was married and he's centering the whole experience on him and he and he's saying well uh, she wouldn't have done it if it wasn't for me and if it wasn't our little fight and and she wouldn't have even gotten engaged to him if i hadn't shown up at her house drunk and blah 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 and it's very arrogant of her, him to say so but in fact i think he's right i mean i do i think he's right i think it is it is centered on him and in fact the name of the book is called Jude the obscure so let's put that to rest right now sometimes it can be centered on you because it, it, you are the center In my experience, I have been the center of everything. He determined to play the Spartan to make the best of it and support her, but he could not write the requested good wishes for a day or two. <clears throat> Meanwhile, there came another note from his impatient little dear. Jude, will you give me away? I have... N- I mean, who is she? She she's such a tease. She's like, Jude, I know you're in love with me. So will you come to my wedding and give me away to this other guy? You'll do that, right? Like That's cool, right? You'll do that. Like You'll just show up and pretend to be happy for me. And not only that, but also walk me down the aisle and give me away to this guy who you know I don't love, who is the competition for your affections. You'll do that, right? I have nobody else who could do it so conveniently as you being the only married relation I have here on this spot, she's twisting the knife, even if my father were friendly enough to be willing, which he isn't. I hope you won't think it a trouble. I have been looking at the marriage service in the prayer book, and it seems to me very humiliating that a giver away should be required at all. Well, she's right about that. According to the ceremony, as they're printed, my bridegroom chooses me of his own will and pleasure, but I don't choose him. Somebody gives me to him like a she-ass or she-goat or any other domestic animal. Bless your exalted views of women, O churchmen! But I forget, I am no longer privileged to tease you. Ever, Susanna Florence, Mary Bridehead. Well, a rare bit of japery from Sue Bridehead, right there. A little progressive thinking there from Sue Bridehead, and not at all mistaken, I would add. Why should she be given away? We know for Sue, certainly, that she chose Phillotson and not the other way around. And she did it with some reluctance, perhaps a great deal of reluctance the way you go to Burger King sometimes. And you're like, well, nothing really looks good here. <sighs> I guess I'll just, I guess I'll just take the Whopper. Nothing really looks good on the Burger King menu. So I just, I, you know what? Phillotson isn't even the Whopper. He is the chicken sandwich and not even the crispy one. He's the grilled chicken sandwich. That's what she has ordered off the Burger King menu because she was hungry and you have to eat something. So she's like, I'll just get the goddamn grilled chicken sandwich. The the grilled chicken sandwich didn't choose her. She chose it. The grilled chicken sandwich had made itself known to her. There's no mystery that there's a grilled chicken sandwich just waiting to be purchased at Burger King, but nobody wants it. It takes somebody like Sue, disgusted with the entirety of the world and with Burger King specifically, to walk in there and say, fine, you'll do. And that's what happened here. Jude screwed himself up to heroic key and replied, my dear Sue, of course I wish you joy and also of course I will give you away what I suggest is that as you have no house of your own, you do not marry from your school friends, but from mine. It would be more proper, I think, since I am, as you say, the person nearest related to you in this part of the world. I don't see why you sign your letter in such a new and terribly formal way. Surely you care a bit about me still, ever your affectionate Jude. So he's digging the knife back at her. They've got little pen knives and they're just kind of slashing at each other a little bit. Death by a thousand cuts is what we're looking at here. Just a little, you know, they're all just trying to inflict just a little bit of damage on each other and see where the blood may fall. What had jarred on him even more than the signature was a little sting he had been silent on. <laughs> now, now now, Hardy is about to say what I just said. Okay, first of all, I said a sting, right? Like a pen knife. And then second, he goes, <laughs> a little sting he had been silent on. The phrase married relation. <laughs> she really just laid into him with that, didn't she? What an idiot it made him seem as her lover. If Sue had written that in satire, he could hardly forgive her. If in suffering, ah, that was another thing. It was both Jude. It was mostly a dig at you because you deserve it. And also there is some suffering there. I I think Sue... What does Sue want? Sue wants to be wanted. That's all she wants. His offer of his lodging must have commended itself to Phillotson. at any rate, for the schoolmaster sent him a line of warm thanks, accepting the convenience. Sue also thanked him. Jude immediately moved into more commodious quarters, as much to escape the espionage of the suspicious landlady who had been one cause of Sue's unpleasant experience, as for the sake of room. Then Sue wrote to tell him the day fixed for the wedding, and Jude decided, after inquiry, that she should come into residence on the following Saturday, which would allow of a 10 days stay in the city prior to the ceremony, sufficiently representing a nominal residence of 15. So I guess you have to be a resident of the city for a certain amount of days before you can get married there. Is that, is that the idea? But really what Jude is saying is, hey, come live with me for a little bit <laughs> before you get married. Hey, just move into my place for like 10 days before you get married. And let's just, you know, just for just to get ready and stuff. It's Run Around Sue Man and it's Run Around Jude. It's both of them running around each other. Hey, hey. Oh, 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 whoa. oh, 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 I'm gonna refill my tea, tea, and be back to the podcast. It ends with a T, so I'm trying to rhyme tea with T. Okay, you're listening to Obscure. Let's continue reading. She arrived by the 10 o'clock train on the day aforesaid, Jude not going to meet her at the station by her special request that he should not lose a morning's work and pay, she said, if this were her true reason. But so well by this time did he know, Sue, that the remembrance of their mutual sensitiveness at emotional crises might, he thought, have weighed with her In this, when he came home to dinner, she had taken possession of her apartment. She lived in the same house with him, but on a different floor, and they saw each other little, an occasional supper being the only meal they took together when Sue's manner was something that of a scared child. What she felt he did not know. Their conversation was mechanical, though she did not look pale or ill phillotson came frequently and mostly when jude was absent on the morning of the wedding when jude had given himself a holiday sue and her cousin had breakfast together for the first and last time during this curious interval in his room the parlor which he had hired for the period of sue's residence Seeing, as women do, how helpless he was in making the place comfortable, she bustled about. What's the matter, Jude? She said suddenly. He was leaning with his elbows on the table and his chin on his hands, looking into a futurity which seemed to be sketched out on the tablecloth. Oh, nothing. Oh, but there is something wrong, isn't there, Jude? Everything is wrong. You are father, you know. That's what they call the man who gives you away, says Sue. And I guess she's being, she's trying to keep it light. Jude could have said, "Phillotson's age entitles him to be called that. <laughs> but he would not annoy her by such a cheap retort. Now, yeah. I laughed. She talked incessantly. As if she dreaded his indulgence in reflection. Yeah, she doesn't want him to bring up any old shit. She really doesn't. Like, I'm resigned to it. You be resigned to it. Like, we. it sucks for everybody. I have already told you that our families do not marry well. And so I am just fulfilling the prophecy. I am just marrying this old dude. For For heaven's sake, he's over 40 years old. He won't live long anyway. But I'm doing this for reasons even I cannot explain. She talked incessantly. I just read this as if she dreaded his indulgence in reflection. And before the meal was over, both he and she wished they had not put such confidence in their new view of things and had taken breakfast apart. What oppressed Jude was the thought that having done a wrong thing of this sort himself, meaning getting married, he was aiding and abetting the woman he loved in doing a like wrong thing instead of imploring and warning her against it. It was on his tongue to say, you have quite made up your mind. After breakfast, they went out on an errand together, moved by a mutual thought, that it was the last opportunity they would have of indulging in unceremonious companionship. By the irony of fate, and the curious trick in Sue's nature of tempting providence at critical times, she took his arm as they walked through the muddy street, a thing she had never done before in her life, and on turning the corner they found themselves close to a gray perpendicular church with a low-pitched roof. The church of saint thomas that's the church said jude where i'm going to be married yes indeed she exclaimed with curiosity how i should like to go in and see what the spot is like where i am soon to kneel and do it again he said to himself she does not realize what marriage means he passively acquiesced in her wish to go in and they entered by the western door The only person inside the gloomy building was a charwoman cleaning. Sue still held Jude's arm, almost as if she loved him. Cruelly sweet indeed she had been to him that morning, but his thoughts of a penance in store for her were tempered by an ache. And then we got a little poem here. There's a little note, and I'll look it up in a second. Tempered by an ache. I can find no way how a blow should fall such as falls on men, nor prove too much for your womanhood. Yeah, I don't know what that means. I'm going to go look it up. All right. Um, Come on already with you in your notes. It's from Browning, The Worst of It. Would it were I had been false not you Notes hmm. from robert browning would it were i had i had been false not you he's saying it would have been better i think if i had been the false one instead of you i could have taken the guilt better than you're taking it i can find no way how a blow should fall such as falls on men nor prove too much for your womanhood they strove undemonstratively up the nave towards the altar railing which they stood against in silence, turning then and walking down the nave again, her hand still on his arm, precisely like a couple just married. The too suggestive incident entirely of her making nearly broke down Jude. Yeah, of course it did. Of course it did. This is what she wants, and as I talked about with Kevin Allison, this is what he wants. He wants to be put through this banking machine. And here she is, her arm in his, essentially assaulting him, mentally assaulting him. That's what's happening right now. She's running him through her own psychotic spanking machine by mimicking the pantomiming. She's pantomiming the bride and the groom with Jude, really her love, Jude. I think there is some part of her that loves him, but she would destroy him if ever they were together and he her because he can never measure up to her and she will always be just out of reach to him because she lives on another plane. He's got her on a pedestal and he never took her down and she is happy to be up there and basically piss on him from up on the pedestal. Just here. Here's a squirt of my wee Jude deal with it. "'I like to do things like this,' she said in the delicate voice of an epicure in emotions, which left no doubt that she spoke the truth. "'I know you do,' said Jude. "'They are interesting because they have probably never been done before. "'I shall walk down the church like this with my husband in about two hours, shan't I? "'No doubt you will. "'Was it like this when you were married?' "'Good God, Sue!' Don't be so awfully merciless. <laughs> <laughs> that satisfaction that you hear in my voice is the satisfaction of him finally just saying something fulsomely. Just being true. Why are you torturing me like this, Sue? And then, of course, he walks it back immediately. There, dear one, I didn't mean it. Ah, oh, you are vexed, she said regretfully as she blinked away in excess of eye moisture. And I promised never to vex you. I suppose I ought not to have asked you to bring me in here. Oh, I oughtn't. I see it now. My curiosity to hunt up a new sensation always leads me into these scrapes forgive me you will won't you jude well of course he will the appeal was so remorseful (laughs) that jude's eyes were even wetter than hers as he pressed her hand for yes now we'll hurry away and i won't do it anymore she continued humbly and they came out of the building sue intending to go on to the station to meet phillotson But the first person they encountered on entering the main street was the schoolmaster himself, whose train had arrived sooner than Sue expected. There was nothing really to demur to in her leaning on Jude's arm, but she withdrew her hand, and Jude thought that Phillotson had looked surprised. We have been doing such a funny thing, said she, smiling candidly. "'We've been to the church, rehearsing, as it were, haven't we, Jude?' "'How?' said Phillotson curiously. "'Jude inwardly deplored what he thought to be unnecessary frankness. "'But she had gone too far not to explain all which she accordingly did, "'telling him how they had marched up to the altar.' Seeing how puzzled Phillotson seemed, Jude said as cheerfully as he could, I'm going to buy her another little present. Will you both come to the shop with me? No, said Sue. I'll go on to the house with him. And requesting her lover not to be a long time, she departed with the schoolmaster. Wait, who's her lover there? Requesting her lover not to be a long time, meaning Jude. She departed with the schoolmaster. Well, why? Why is Thomas Hardy calling... What, why is he, what, he's not her lover. He wants to be her lover, but he's not. Well, my, how the time has flown. Uh, I've just been receiving a telephone call as we talked. Perhaps if you turn up the Volume in your own headphones. If you're listening to this on a personal stereo system, such as a Walkman or Discman or such, you might even hear the vibrating of my telephone uh, inquiring as to my whereabouts. Where are you? Says the phone. Will you not speak with me? And I said to the phone, I shall not. All of this happened telekinetically, of course, because I was reading to you. But Sue's about to get married unless something prevents it. And I'm curious now, do you you listeners want to lay odds on whether they actually go through with the ceremony or not? I'm very curious. And if not, who stops it? Is it A, Jude, B, Sue, or C, Phillotson? Any one of the three would be firmly motivated in their uh, stopping the ceremony. One of them saying up, standing up and saying, I-, "I can't go through with it," or "I object," or "We cannot get married, dear Richard." Any one of those things. I don't know what's going to happen. In the end, I know nobody will be happy. That's pretty much all I know. But I've warmed up a little bit here in the Jill Schwartz Memorial Library. I've got my my little Afghan on me, also covering Jack, who loves to be burrowed under things. So he is burrowed under the blanket. His head nestled against my upper thigh. On the outside, you pervs. On the outside of my thigh. And we are sitting here conjoined. The two of us somewhat in uh, connubial bliss. So, will they get married? will they get married? We don't know. But we'll find out next time. On another... F- fascinating? Yeah. I could do better than that. On another fully engaging, and that has a pun in it, but it's not great, on another good episode of Obscure. And until then, I wish you adieu. Obscure is brought to you by Earwolf. For more information on Obscure, visit our show page at earwolf.com and be sure to subscribe to Obscure in your favorite podcast app like Stitcher or Apple Podcasts so you don't miss an episode. And you can talk to us at Obscure with Michael Ian Black at gmail.com. If you like what you've heard, please write us a nice review on Apple Podcasts. And if you don't, why? Did you make it all the way to the credits? Obscure is produced by Jennifer Brennan, Mary Shimkin, and Robin Lynn, who also mixed and edited today's show with music composed by Craig Wedren. Special thanks to everyone at Earwolf, especially Chris Bannon, Colin Anderson, and the Earwolf engineer team of Brett Morris, Sam Kiefer, and Ryan Connor. If you would like information about sponsoring our show, email hello at midroll.com from the wilds of Connecticut. I'm Michael Ian Black.
1: Dale, y'all! This is Tony Rodriguez. This is Carlos Santos. This is Raisa Licea. And this is Oscar Montoya. When our powers combine, we are Spanish Aqui Presents. We have a brand new podcast here on Earwolf, bringing you the best of the best of lo mejor of the Latinx comedy.
2: Join us every Tuesday as we chat about what's going on in our lives, Latinx culture, and ¿Qué lo que?
1: Lo que no está picando. Lo
2: que te pica. Don't worry, we'll tell you what that means if you listen. We'll also be joined by a new guest every single week. We'll get to know a little bit more about their lives. Every single week. Uh huh. And then we'll make them sit back and watch us improvise their lives right back to them. Improvisation.
1: <laughs> Spanish Aquí Presents premieres July 16th. Subscribe now in Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. Spanish Aquí Presents!